0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. And so today I want to wrap up the series out of context, and I want to talk about this idea. I'm going to ask a question. When When you hear this phrase, what comes to mind? God is in control. God is in control. Now, you don't have to answer out loud. But when I, when I make this statement, what comes to mind? God is in control. Now, this is normally something that we say uh, when things happen that we are unsure about. When you have situations in life that come up that you just don't know what else to say, we say things like God is in control. An example would be uh, maybe you know someone, a friend, a family member who's going through a really hard time. Uh, maybe they lost their job. Uh, maybe they're losing their marriage through divorce. Uh, you know, Maybe they lost a loved one. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that we cope with and we can deal with. And so in those situations, we say, we say things like God is in control. Uh, maybe someone's been diagnosed with sickness, and we say God is in control, right? I'll tell you what, I've officiated a lot of funerals. And in fact, I have one this week. And I love officiating funerals, not because I like to see people pass away, but What's beautiful is there's a few funeral homes around here that they kind of have me on their roster. And there's a lot of people who don't have a pastor. And so, you know, when it comes to these types of, of, of services, they need an officiant. And so sometimes they'll reach out to me. And I love it because I get to meet new people. I get to meet families who are going through loss. They're going through a tragic time in their lives. And hopefully I can bring some hope and some peace and some healing to them. And I found that it's not by being religious and given them all the right Bible verses. It's by being a real human being who empathizes and hears their story and hears the stories about their loved one or their relative. Does that make sense? And I think that's something we can learn from as Christians. Sometimes we've got our, we've got a, whoo, I got my scripture and I got my verses, but sometimes we don't know how to empathize and hear others. And so that's something I've had to learn and been forced into in these situations because you, you, know, you, you want to be... Um, you want to walk lightly, you want to tread lightly in these situations, and you want to help bring healing and hope to those. But I've officiated a lot of funerals, and one thing that I've heard a lot, I don't say this anymore, I might have in the past, is we say things like God is in control. Even in the, the most recent Rob Elementary uh, you know, shooting, um, I know there's people who are asking why. You ever been at a point in your life, you're like, why? Why is this happening to me? Why, why is this happening in general? I mean, this is, I mean, why do 21 people have to die in a senseless act of violence? We all ask these questions. And for some of us, it can hit harder than others. But to say that God is in control may be something that is normal. It's something that's said in a situation even as tragic as this. But I want us to think about this statement, God is in control. And I want us to think that through. I think sometimes, unfortunately, and I'm not saying everyone, but as Christians, sometimes we have, I don't know what the right word is, but we have this tendency, it's a good word, we have a tendency to not think things through. We'll just say, we'll quote, and we'll regurgitate something that we've heard, heard as we're growing up. Come on, I've been there. I'll raise both hands. You just say things. And this is one of those things God is in control. And so we just have this go-to. We have this this way that we can sometimes go to or, or this place that we can go to. But I think if we actually take the time to think this idea through that God is in control, I believe we'd realize that God is not the author of sickness and loss. Now, I understand... I have brothers and sisters in certain denominations whom I love, and they are where they are, but I would say I completely disagree with their theology because they would say that God puts sickness and disease and takes things away from people in order to teach them a lesson. Well, I try to look at Jesus as the lens for the Heavenly Father. Jesus himself said that I only say and do what I see the Father say and do, and I never once saw Jesus lay hands on someone and give them cancer. He laid hands on them, and they were healed. I never saw him go up to someone and break their heart. No, he came to heal the brokenhearted. So if that's what Jesus is like, then we can say, oh, that's what God is like. Does that make sense? Follow suit. And so if God's not the author of sickness and loss, and he has nothing to do with these senseless acts of violence, then what's the answer? I believe the answer is that as humans... In these situations, when we don't know what else to say, we fall back on this idea that God is in control. We make this statement that God is in control with good intention. Now, let me say this before we go on, that I do believe that God is sovereign. Right? God, which means he is king, which means he is supreme. Uh, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness, everything within it is his. But let me say something. He's not in control of everything that happens on it. I have a good friend of mine that we were talking about this one day, one time, and he he had this example. It was so cool. He says, says, I own a 200 by 200 uh, lot. It's mine. I own it. No one can say it's not mine. I own it. I bought it. I purchased it. We could say that they're the sovereign or they're the king. They reign over that property, right, so to speak, right? That's their property. But it's interesting. He says, but you know what? I can't control what the squirrels do on my property. He's in fact, I can't control what the skunks do because the skunks would like to just, you know, hide underneath his deck and just spray off and have some fun. He's like, I can't even control that. Now, sure, he could try to bring someone in or, or set a trap or do something to get rid of that, but he can't control what happens on the property. He even said, I can't even control everything that my kids do on this property. Anyone remember the game Jarts? Wasn't that awesome? I, well, now it's like, I think, little weighted, like, like uh, blunt things that you throw and try to get into a circle but when I was little it was actual metal shafts that went right into the ground and I never understood why my grandpa was freaking out because he had the jarts game and I loved it and instead of just playing regular jarts I would throw them up as high as they can and then see if I could see where they were as they were coming down because that's what we did as 80's children come on and I'm still here I'm okay I might have a few you know gashes and bruises and scars but man it was worth it I learned you don't throw jarts straight up in the air because it can hit someone in the head. But you can't control what people do on your own land. Then it brings me to this, this awesome verse in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, say God said. He says, let us. Say us. Now the Hebrew language here, the original language is absolutely beautiful. The way that it's said is it's indicating this united action." So you have God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit together, wanting to create mankind. And when he says let, it isn't like, well, guys, let's just do this. It's it's actually not a request in the Hebrew. It's like, this is what we're going to do. This is intentional. This is with purpose. Then God said, let us intentionally make mankind in what? Our image. But God had wanted to make us as human beings in his image. Look at this, according to our likeness. Say, I'm like God. Oh, wow. Isn't that cool? Look at this, and let them rule. Now, again, the Hebrew language is beautiful here. It's not like, well, I guess we'll let them. The, the, the tone of the Hebrew language here is have them rule. Again, very intentional. We're going to make mankind in our image and our likeness. And then we're going to have them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the livestock, and over all the earth. Who has authority over all the earth? Man. And over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. Now I want us to notice something here. God never said, let us make them and let us have dominion. Mm -mm. Instead, let us make them, and then let's give them the authority of the earth realm. All mankind has the authority of the earth realm. In fact, the psalmist agrees by saying the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but, say but, and this is a big but, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. Say I'm a son of men. Say I'm a daughter of man. So, I want us to start to pick up this, this, this idea that's being said from, from the very beginning of the creation story. Is that God is the sovereign. He rules over. He owns all. But who was given the authority in the earth? Man. Are, are, you see where we're going with this? In fact, if you, if you look at the creation story even closer, when Adam the first man in this story, when he believed the lie that he didn't measure up, that he maybe could do it better, he gave in and rebelled. Think about this. It was man's rebellion that caused the curse and all this mess that, that we are dealing with, everything that has happened on the earth, it also opened the door to sin and death. It, it opened the door to sin and death. It, it, an earth that's filled with, you know, fear rather than faith. It's an earth that's filled with hate rather than love, with war rather than peace. I mean, if you just look around for thousands upon thousands of years, pretty much all of human history, we've seen this curse. We've seen fear rather than faith. We've seen war rather than peace. We see hate rather than love. That's not God doing that. That's mankind doing that. This is making sense. Because if you think about this, if you follow this through to the end, If everything that happens on the earth is God controlling it like a puppet master, then we'd have to believe that he's in control of, say, school shootings. God's in control of the sex slave trade. He's in control of rape and disease and war and all violence that we see. And and think about this. If he did everything that he gets blamed for, then who would want that God in their life? But yet some people believe that's who and how God is. But not according to Jesus. See, the truth here, again, we're Christians, we're believers, we read scripture. And if you believe what we're reading here, the truth is that these issues, this loss, this pain, this suffering, the things that we deal with, they're coming from men with unregenerated minds. It's man causing the pain and the issues, and the war, and all these things that we see, right? And and they're doing these horrible things, and this has nothing to do with God. Are you following me? Now, when we say God is in control, we we may be, let me say it this way, when we say that God's in control, maybe we're not thinking this way. Now, in the past, when I thought God's in control, I never thought that means he's putting sickness on people, my idea was maybe this can bring some comfort to say no matter what's going on, God's got your back, right? Does that make sense? That, that God, God has got this. Let's trust God. That, that's kind of how I've lived most of my life, right? Let's trust God in the midst of these circumstances. But think about this. When we say that God is in control in the midst of these things, how do others hear God is in control? What is their reaction? This kind of reminds me of uh, the, the message that Nate Blouse brought, which is life doesn't read your Bible. It's this whole idea that we can just say things and spot off. God's in control, but according to Scripture, he's given us control. And so if we don't follow that that string right... We end up blaming God for all kinds of heinous deeds and actions. In fact, some people even blame God. Well, well God caused this calamity to happen. You ever heard that? Like there's an earthquake or, you know, uh, that, that recent tornado that went through and just totally destroyed here in Michigan. It was Atiago, that trailer park just obliterated. People can use that to say, well, there must have been sin in that trailer park. That's why it happened. Which, I, let me ask you this. If God, if the reflection of God is Jesus... Everything we see Jesus do and say is a reflection of who God is. I never saw once Jesus offer or put calamity or loss or sickness on people. How about you? So we have to get our theology right. At least, in my humble opinion, I don't believe God does this. Okay? But see, we can say that and maybe not think that. But when others hear, their reaction may be, well, if God's in control of this, first of all, then why didn't God stop this? I'm sure there's many parents who are grieving over the loss of their children this weekend, who maybe have asked this question, if God's in control, why didn't he stop this? Come on, it's easy easy to ask, right? It's an automatic go-to. And if that's true that God's in control and he didn't stop it or he has something to do with it, then I would say they'd probably say, well, then I want nothing to do with a God like that. And who can blame them? Who can blame them? But I believe that the good news, however, is that God started fresh with the last Adam, who is Jesus Christ. See, we just talked about the first Adam in the garden story of creation and how he rebelled, believed the lie, went a different way. But then we have last Adam, Jesus. I think it's really important that we understand one of the gospel accounts. When Mary saw Jesus, she had mistaken him for the gardener. Now, for us, we're like, what? She didn't recognize Jesus? She thought he was the gardener? I mean, was he dressed up in gardening gear? I mean, what what was she thinking? It wasn't an accident that it was written that way. Because a Jew who would hear garden would automatically go back to a story they've heard since they were youngins about the creation story where the first man and woman were in a garden. But here we have Jesus, who's referred to as last Adam, the final Not second, but last, Adam, in a garden. See, Jesus came to reconcile, to turn everything right side up again through a new creation. A creation, I believe, has been bursting forth for over 2,000 years. This is the new way. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of doing. This is the way of Jesus. This is the kingdom way. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this in his first letter to the Corinthians. He says this, So also it is written, The first man, Adam, Became a living person, or the, the actual Greek is soul, a living soul. But look at this the last Adam, who's the last Adam? Jesus was a life giving spirit. Right there, we can see Jesus gives life, not death. In fact, James and John asked Jesus one time, they weren't received in a certain town, and as they walked out of the town, not being received, They kind of went back to their Jewish roots and the prophet and the laws. And they said, man, Jesus, should we call fire down upon them like Elijah did? And Jesus basically said, "Uh, you don't know what spirit you speak of. I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save men's lives. We can see all through the life and ministry of Jesus that Jesus was in the life-saving, life-giving ministry. Not killing and life-taking. Anyone agree with me on that? And so the first man, Adam, became a living soul, whereas the last Adam was a life-giving spirit. In fact, I love this in the mirror Bible. It says the last Adam is a life-radiating spirit. And think about this. That life resides within you, resides within me. This is a life-radiating spirit. And I think sometimes we forget that. We get caught up in the day-to-day, the hustle and the bustle, and it's real easy to do, but we forget. Wait a minute. I'm a life-giving spirit because that spirit resides on the inside of me. I'm reflecting the image and likeness of God. So think about what this means. We are now partakers of resurrection life. Think about that. We radiate the Christ life. Jesus is the last Adam. Think about this. When he died, this is so cool to think about. When Jesus died, mankind's Adamic reference died. Why? Because that was first Adam. Jesus was last Adam. And the Apostle Paul says that when Christ died, we died with Christ. But get this, when Christ resurrected, guess who resurrected with Christ? We did. Come on now. Now, here's the thing about the gospel. Some people don't see this. They don't understand that. It hasn't become a revelation to them. And so our message isn't you're dirty, rotten, God can barely stand you, so pray a prayer, and then he'll be okay with you. That's not the gospel. I know that's what we've heard with bullhorns and different things, but the gospel is you've been included. Jesus has made the way. You've resurrected with him, but you just don't see it yet. You have to make a choice. It takes faith. How many would agree? Because think about this. When you walked in here today, how many sat down? You're all sitting down now. Let me ask you a question. When you came in here and you went into that row and you picked your seat, the one with your name on it, right? When you sat down, I just want to know how many struggled to sit down. How many looked back about 10 times, went down slow, you weren't sure. You wanted to make sure we're going to support you, right? How many did that? No one. You came in, and you threw your books down, and your electronic devices, and you just plopped your butt down, didn't you? Why? You had complete faith in that chair that it would hold you up. I know you're like, well, that's faith? Yeah, that's faith. You had faith in that chair. Every time you, you sit down, you have faith that that chair will support you. It's the same thing in this life with Christ. That's what faith is. It's saying, you know what? I believe, I have the revelation that this is who I am in Christ. This is my true identity. Jesus has done it all. And what do we do? We sit down. In fact, Ephesians talks about that, right? It has this whole idea of sit, walk, and stand. Before you can actually walk and stand in the freedom God's given you, you first have to sit in it, rest in it, realize it's true for you. Does that make sense? And so there's something about faith. I truly believe we have to believe it we have to receive it. We have to embrace it. That's the message. Jesus says, repent. That's not a bad word. It means to change your mind. It's metanoia in the Greek, to change your mind. And then repentance in the Hebrew means to turn and go a different way. You put those together. What happens is you go, I can see clearly now. Anyway, you see it clearly. And what do you do? You turn and you go a different direction in life. But how many know it takes faith? It takes belief. It's like, I believe that I see it. Now, you believing it doesn't make it happen. It's already happened. See, some people think, well, if I pray the prayer, they almost make like the prayer of salvation, it's magic. Like you pray it and all of a sudden stuff starts, whoo, whoo. they watch too much Harry Potter probably, but stuff starts going around. And okay, suddenly you be, it's all this stuff happened. No, Jesus already did it all. But you have to receive it. First believe it, then receive it, and then you walk in it. I often tell people, you won't benefit You'll never benefit from something unless you believe it. If I told you, you have a million dollars in a bank account at State Bank right now. If you didn't believe it, you wouldn't go get it access or benefit from it, would you? But what if you said, I wonder if it's true. And you went and checked that account. Woo! You'd be like a million dollars. Okay, how much should I give to the church? But you'd be like a million dollars. It's there. Why? Because you believed it. You stepped out by faith. Isn't that awesome? See, that's the gospel in a nutshell. It's not about God beating you over the head because you're not good enough. It's God saying, I believed that you were worthy and good enough that I died for you. I believed that you're good enough and all you have to do is receive it. I provided everything you need, all things for life and godliness already provided. You have nothing to do with it. Your prayer doesn't change what's already happened. But here's what it does. It shows that you believe something that's already happened and then you access by faith what God has already done. So faith is important, amen? Think about this though. Jesus is the last Adam. When he died, mankind's Adamic reference died. And Jesus, I believe, is the head of the human race. All of creation bursting forth since the resurrection. See, human life is not defined by Adam But defined in Christ. Sometimes we got to get our head out of that and go, whoa, I keep reverting back to this Adamic nature issue thing. No, no, no. Our life is not defined by Adam, but defined in Christ. Come on, somebody. Isn't that good news? So when we allow his love to work through us, we as sons and daughters of God, we begin to put creation right again. Think of it from this perspective. When we say that God is in control, if we're not careful, then it takes the onus or the responsibility off of us and it puts it back on God. Oh, God's in control. He, he's got this. But what about your calling? What about your mission in life? You, Andy, speaking to myself too, what about your mission? What about your calling? What about your gifts? See, when we can just blame God for everything, it takes the responsibility off of us. And we think, well, God, you got this. Go ahead and do it. But who's the body of Christ? We are. So we flesh out the kingdom. We're the ones that reflect the image of God. Come on. Jesus is the head. We submit to that authority. We respect that. We look at the life of Christ and we're like, okay, I I can see what living a Christ life looks like according to what Jesus has shown us according to Scripture, which is... Full inclusion, it's loving others, it's grace and truth. You know, I think about how many times Jesus came into contact with what the religious community would consider uh, sinners, labeled people, you know, the tax collectors, the actual Jewish people that would work for Rome and take money from their own people and keep some for themselves and live high on the hog off their own people, who were starving, by the way, in this time, first century. But I think about when Jesus would encounter someone who was labeled a sinner or in sin, he never brought shame to them. In fact, he said to one guy, hey, can I go to your house and eat? Which was unheard of. A religious leader eating at a sinner's house? Uh Uh-uh. Because when you broke bread with someone, you were saying that I accept them where they are. This was unheard of in the religious circles. The only time I really see Jesus get irritated is, I'm not saying people, but religious systems that would push people out, reject people and hold them at bay. That's when Jesus really had issues. Even when he turned over the tables, you know, in the temple there, he wasn't hurting people and whipping people, right? He saw that people were being taken advantage of. They were paying these exorbitant prices for sacrifices because they had to travel from far and wide and couldn't bring their sacrifice. And so they're like, well, honey, we'll just, you know, bring the checkbook. We'll just get some when we get the temple. And they were charging prices that were astronomical and people could barely afford it. They were already suffering. And Jesus is like, enough is enough. You've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. You're stealing from people. You're robbing from people. You're making people feel like they're not good enough and they can't measure up and they can't even approach my presence. Can you see this? And so Jesus had a different picture that he painted. He says, no, 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 no. In fact, all are included at my table. All are welcome. But here's the beauty of it. Jesus didn't have to use fear, guilt, or shame for the hearts of people to change. It was acceptance grace and love. Don't the scriptures tell us that it's the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance? This is important to see. And somehow in this westernized evangelical idea, we've turned this around to demean people and to fear them and shame them and yell at them as if that's going to change a heart truly. See, fear can manipulate you into doing something and making a choice but love literally changes your heart to make that choice you hear me now don't mistake this to say pastor thinks sin's okay oh no sin's not okay I mean you do some sinning for a while and you're going to reap what you sow I mean it's just a natural thing right but I believe that the love of God speaking to the son in people rather than the sin in them is what changes their heart. Once the heart changes, you make different decisions and you make different choices. I'm saying this from experience. When I would try with all the willpower and prayer that I could to try to stop doing things, it seems like it always failed. But when I would awaken to my sonship and realize how good God is and how huge his grace is and that he's completely forgiven me past, present, and future, I was like, in that state of just awe and falling in love with God, you know, we love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19, one of my favorite verses. I say it about every verse. This is one of my favorite verses. <laughs> but it is. And what that's done is it's, it's actually transformed my heart from the inside out. My actions are different than they were two and five and ten years ago. Now, have I arrived? Nope. Ask my wife <laughs> because she sees every side of me, right? The closest ones to us. But I know that it's changed my outlook on life, my outlook on others, how I see God, how I see myself. Some of us need to really deal with that because, man, let me say this. Non-gospel religious messages will make you feel like you never measure up and you're never worthy. And so your whole life is on this religious treadmill of trying to perform for God. Let me say this. As a human parent... Because Jesus even uses illustrations. He's like, and he uses words like, he, if an evil father will do this for his son, how much more the heavenly father, right? But if my kids, if I truly believe that my kids were loving me because they feared me, were deathly afraid of me, or they're trying to perform somehow for me, that would hurt my heart. Don't perform for me. But Dad, I want you to love me. I love you. Why? Because you exist. You're mine. That's why I love you. How much more God? Now, in the midst of that love, how many know discipline's a good thing? But discipline isn't punishing you for your past. It's training you for your future. It's looking at the situation and say, I want to train you so that you have a better future. I don't want to punish you and make you pay for your past. There's a big difference. And somehow, we flip stuff around. Again, in my humble opinion... This is how I see the life of Jesus, and I believe that Jesus reflects the true heart of the Father. Amen? So again, if we say that God is in control and we're not careful, it will take that responsibility off of us and we put it back on God. When from the very beginning, think about this, Genesis 126, God gave us the responsibility. God gave us the dominion. God gave us the control. So I believe that Paul says in Romans 8, this verse is so good. And I love this in the Wymouth New Testament. This is one of my favorite verses. I'm just kidding. It's, it's a good one, though. But, but listen to this. This is so powerful. I love this translation. It says, for all creation. How much a creation? Whew. Now, some translations say things like they're eager for uh, there's this great like in in the greek it's like this desire this this desire to see this happen look at this for all creation i love this gazing eagerly as if with outstretched neck like i got to see this i got to see this You ever been at a concert and you bought the nosebleed seats and you're like, I got to see this, man. I got to see this. I wish I had a jumbotron so I could really see it. I'm just imagining that all of creation, necks are outstretched. They're just searching high and wide for what? It's waiting and longing to see the manifestation of the sons of God. It's waiting for us to manifest who we truly are. All of creation. Think about it. God gave mankind the control of this earth, and he now lives his life in and through the sons and we could say the daughters as well of the kingdom. We have the authority, I'd even like to say we have the opportunity to turn this graveyard of an earth back into a garden once again. What if that was our outlook? Instead of, well, God's in control, just throwing it back on God, what about Our purpose. What about our calling? What could we do? And listen, I understand that as an individual, I'm not going to change the entire world, but I can start with one heart at a time. How about you? In each and every one of us, we have, I call it, an area or sphere of influence, friendships, relationships, work environments, school environments, where we can not come in and, and set up a soapbox and tell everyone how bad they are, that's not what I'm saying. But it's an opportunity to live a life of love and grace. To be kind. Because the kindness of the Lord is what draws us to repentance. I found that it's so much easier to open up conversations as I develop a relationship with people and they, they truly believe that I care for them. When they talk about their kids, I'm not in the back of my mind. You ever gone somewhere, you know, whether it's, a furniture store, you know, a, a, a car dealership. And there's, there's just certain people that they have this aura about them. Like, you just know they want to sale. High-pressured salesmen, right? The, the ones that really speak to me are the ones that almost like, wow, I don't even, like, it's subconscious, but I'm thinking, I don't even know if they care about the sale. They just want to talk to me and see what's going on in my life. And normally, those are the people we buy from. Now, maybe it's a tactic, okay? I'm not saying we use tactics, but think about if, you know, in any relationship in our life, if in the back of our mind, it's not like, okay, I got, I, got, I got to save this person. Well, first of all, you don't save anyone. That's God's job. But what if you go into a situation instead of in the back of your mind thinking, I got to get them to pray the prayer. I got them to, to make this confession. I got, what if you were like, wow, I wonder what's going on in their lives. What, what is that? Oh man, your child's been bullied at school. Man, can, wow, can we just pray? Can I just pray for them? That really moves my heart. You know, my child's dealt with that too and that's not a fun thing and we don't want any of our children to, to feel like they're worthless and 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 have, you know, nothing to give and, and will never amount to anything. No, I totally get that. What if that was our approach? You're going through a divorce? Oh my gosh, I had a friend who went through her. I myself went through a divorce. Man, it's not easy. It just tears you up from the inside out. Man, I know what you're feeling. Can... Is it okay if I just pray for you? Hey, listen, I'm here. Here's my number. I'm here for you. And I know, I know sometimes we go, but, but what if what well, Jesus comes back tonight? What's going to happen? I, I think God's got this under control in that way. Like, he just wants, he wants to let you be the light, and we don't have to try to rush things. Does that make sense? Because sometimes with good intentions, we're trying so hard to force something to happen, and then we wonder why it doesn't, and it backfires. You don't have to be high pressure with this. You're not a high pressure salesman. Love people. Build genuine relationship. Truly empathize and care for people. And then eventually, I found this in my life, they'll start to ask questions. They'll start to open up. If somebody doesn't know who God is, they might say to you, oh, I, don't, I don't even know. I remember when I uh, was on the road you know, in bands and, and touring and stuff, and you get to know people. And it's just wild. I mean because you know, you see the stage persona, you know, you see what, what they're giving off. There's an image they're giving off. But then behind the scenes, you see real people with real loss and hurts and, and desires and, and loves and dislikes. And it was in those moments where people would come up just out of blue and go, Hey man, uh, I know that you pray and you're kind of into Jesus and stuff. And I'm going through this in my life. W- would you pray for me? I don't even know how to pray it was just such great opportunities to just pray for people and didn't have to be religious about it. Just be there for them. Just support people. Is this making sense? This is what we're to do. Be a light to this world. Again, we have the authority and opportunity to turn this graveyard of an earth back into a garden once again. I think it's important that we see that we are co-laborers with Christ. That's what scripture tells us. And without him, we're told we can do nothing. But think about this. Without us... He chooses not to. He wants us to truly be his body and reach those around us. See, it's a combined effort. And so when it comes to tragedy, when it comes to loss and, and pain, we can all ask all the wise in the world that we need to, but then we can choose to either throw it all on God and wonder why he isn't doing something about it. Or, get this, we can realize He did all things through Christ. It's already done. And then God gave us, say me, and together us, say us. He gave us the power and authority to be the agents of change in this world. We can literally change this world one heart at a time, but it has to be intentional. So again, I'll just say this again so you understand my heart, that God is the sovereign of all. God owns all. Everything is God's, right? But he's not in control of everything that goes on. Because again, if we believe this, that means that he's okay in behind some really evil, horrendous things. But as we can see, as believers, God has given us the control, given us the authority in this earth. Amen? Please stand with me this morning. Something that I realized, and I'm hoping that we realize today, and that I've really found in my life, is that I have a choice. And a lot of times in those choices, I said, you know what, God? I want to give you control in my own life. Meaning that I want to hand my life over to you simply by saying something like, Lord, may your will be my will. How many know we have a free will? We can choose to do whatever we want. There's many times in my life that I've had to say, and maybe in different ways, but basically, Lord, I want your will, your will of salvation, which means what? Which means, you know, restoration. It means deliverance, healing, um, you know, wholeness. It's all these good things, deliverance, I want his will for this world to be my will for this world because sometimes I get caught up in my own stuff. How about you? So maybe this is a daily, weekly, monthly thing where we say, Lord, may your will become my will. But I want to read this portion of Romans 8 again. And I want us to just listen closely, even close your eyes if you want. I want you to just kind of soak this in, not for religious reasons, but just to really hear this. I believe this was Paul's experience and the Apostle Paul's view of how we now walk according to our awakening in Christ, this new life in the kingdom. He writes, Our lives now represent the one event every creature anticipates with held breath, standing on tiptoe as it were to witness the unveiling of the sons of God. Can you hear the drum roll? Every creature suffered abuse through Adam's fall. They were discarded like a squeezed-out orange. Creation did not volunteer to fall prey to the effect of the fall. Yet, within this stark setting, hope prevails. All creation knows that the glorious liberty of the sons of God sets the stage for their own release from decay. We sense the global agony and pain recorded in history until this very moment. We ourselves feel the grief echo of their groaning within us while we are ready to embrace the original blueprint also of our physical stature to the full consequence of sonship. What we already now participate in as first fruits of the Spirit will bloom into a full gathering of the harvest. For what we already experience confirms our hope and continues to feel our expectation For what we still cannot see in the final visible completeness of the harvest, hope has fulfilled its function. Isn't that beautiful? See, we have purpose. We have a calling, each and every one of us. And I'll be as bold as to say, as far as this earth is concerned, God is certainly sovereign and owns and rules all, but God's not in control. He gave us authority and dominion and control. Let's stop pushing that back to him and saying, okay, Lord, I accept this, which means now I have to be intentional and there's something that I must do. But get this, we do it as co-laborers with Christ, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're not in this Alone. So let's answer the call of the Apostle Paul when he says the eager expectation of all creation waits for the manifestation. Or we can say the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. What is your purpose? What is your calling? Let's not push it back to God. Let's take that responsibility and that control. And one by one, we can change this earth to look a little bit more, bit by bit, like heaven. Can I get an Amen awesome let's pray heavenly father we thank you once again for your goodness and your grace it's so amazing to connect to the divine source of life it's amazing to be able to participate in your kingdom Sure, we live in a world with world systems, and you know, we could judge systems and say one's more righteous than the other, but there's no system like your system where there's no borders, there's no uh, labels, there, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no need to hide. Every single person serves a purpose, and it's, it's a good purpose. You've given us gifts. In advance, gifts that we uh, don't even know about, good works that we don't even know about. You've already prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. It's something that we will walk out as we grow and as we mature. I pray that there's anyone here this morning that is feeling that weight of guilt and shame. We thank you, Father, that that's not your spirit. So we just cast that off in Jesus' name. That's not who you are and that's not who we are. If there's anyone here this morning or or listening online that feels worthless, a sense of worthlessness, that's not you, that's not who you are, that's not us, that's not who we are. We cast that off in Jesus' name. And I pray for many of us that today would maybe, for some of us, be a reminder, maybe others be a wake-up call to see that we have purpose that no longer will we blame you and put the onus and responsibility on you, but that we would be intentional in our walk and in our life to be change agents in this world for your kingdom. We thank you that you are sovereign, you are king, you are supreme. We thank you for the responsibility and the control that you've given to us. I pray that each one of us would take that to heart and take that responsibility in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Did you receive that this morning? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.